the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And this week we are honored to welcome Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove, who comes from New York and is the rabbi at Park Avenue Synagogue in Manhattan ordained at JTS in 1999. Rabbi Cosgrove earned his PhD at the University of Chicago Divinity School, where he did a thesis on Rabbi Dr. Louis Jacobs. Rabbi Cosgrove is the author of many publications. He's the editor of Jewish Theology in Our Time, A New Generation Explores the Foundations and Future of Jewish belief. And his essays and editorials appear in a whole variety of publications in the Jewish world. It is truly wonderful to have you with us, Rabbi Cosgrove, to explore Parshat Korach with you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Simon. What you have put together the podcast assembled everyone. I'm honored to be part of this project, and certainly as uh, a student of Rabbi Jacobs of blessed memory, I see this as a continuation of his quest. Well, it's wonderful to have you as part of the quest. And maybe to begin, a broad open question, but was Korach the first populist leader? I think the Korach story has to be situated in a series of parshiot that actually began uh, a few weeks ago with Bahalotcha, uh, which are all meditations on um, leadership, populism, and authority. If you go back a few parshiot, then you know that the beginnings of the murmurings tradition with the manna and the quail in Numbers chapter 11, followed by the incident, Miriam and Aaron challenging Moses's leadership and authority. You have the scene with Eldad and Medad, who are, Joshua has worries that they are prophesying in the camp. And Moses says, would it be that everyone would be prophets like they are? Then, of course, last week you have Shlach Lecha, with the incident of spies. Each one of these stories are stories which draw attention to the question of the democratic nature of leadership and the authority of Moses, Aaron, and otherwise. And so when you arrive in uh, chapter 16 of Bamidbar of Korach, and it begins by saying, Vaikach Korach, ben Yitzhar, ben Kahat, ben Levi, that, and Korach took, and the beautiful drasha on these verses are that, or this opening verse is that normally there's a direct object. There, someone takes something, Vaikach Korach, Korach took, but it doesn't actually say what he took. There's no direct object to that sentence. And the commentary signals that that lacuna, that lack of a direct object, is a window into Korach's 
character, that he was a taker, that though this moment was a, a moment where he seems to be um, saying, we are all equal, each Israelite um, stands equally, not just you, Moses, this moment was actually a, a, a naked grab for power, which was not so much about democracy, but it was about arrogating power and authority away from the chosen leadership of the Israelites to himself. And um, yes, I think to your question, I think in, in populism isn't a dirty word. It's very important to think about what the needs of the people are. But in this case, as interpreted both in the shot of the text and as it's uh, been received through rabbinic interpretation, this is not just a pure call for democracy. Do you have any sympathy um, for Korach? And what might that be if there is? Look, it's a good question. And I'm a little prepared for this because I have in my hands uh, a book of Jewish preaching, homilies and sermons by Rabbi Louis Jacobs. And I want to read to you what Rabbi Jacobs wrote about this because he wrote about a Hasidic Rebbe who claimed that in a previous incarnation, he had lived in the time of Korach's rebellion against Moses. He further claimed, this is Rabbi Jacobs describing this, to have memory of the ancient conflict. The Hasidim asked him which side was he on, to which the Rebbe replied that he was neutral. But surely the Hasidim protested, the Rebbe should have sided with Moses. Korach's arguments, said the Rebbe, were so persuasive that it was hard enough for me to remain neutral let alone to take the side of Moses. And so we can sympathize. So this idea that there is a struggle going on and that Moses's there, there's a tension. There's a tension because we hear that 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 voice with the incident of Eldad and Medad, where Moses himself says that would it be that everybody is a prophet? We are a mamlecha kohanim. Each and every Israelite is created equally in the eyes of God, which ostensibly is Korach's claim. And yet Moses is the appointed leader by way of God of the Israelites to bring them to the promised land. And so it's not that there's um, not a tension. Of course, there's a tension here. But again, I would say it's a manner by which Korach goes about making his claim to power, perhaps that he does so publicly, perhaps that he does so with a rump, rebellious group that incenses the people. It, it, it's a similar tension that um, we experienced in Shlachlach. There was nothing sinful about the spies coming back with a bad report. That unto itself, they were told to go report on the land, come back, say what they saw. But the manner by which they did it was, was done in a way that um, was, was public and a public challenge to Moses' authority, which I actually, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, which I actually think goes into next week's Parsha in Chukat, when we uh, arrive at the place of Moses striking the rock, and we are always asking the question, I'm sure you'll ask next week's guest, 
what was Moses's sin exactly was striking the rock. And one of the many interpretations of that moment is it's not that he did it um, at all, but that he did it publicly. So each one of these narratives signal that it's not just the what, but it's the how of the challenge of leadership, which is really um, the issue on the table. Thank you for planting seeds for uh, for next week and also drawing um, on the continuity as well. I wonder what you make of um, Moses's impelling God, putting God to the test that we read in those um, verses towards the end of uh, chapter 16, I think 28 to 30, when Moses calls on, Moses appeals to God and and says that if the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them with all that belongs to them and they go down into Sheol, then you shall know that those involved have been spurned by God. And then obviously what has just been said then transpires. I, I wonder what you think of Moses putting God on the spot in that way. It's a rather gruesome fate for the rebellious group. I think that in each one of these incidents, that there are, there's no shortage of dark moments of the wilderness wanderings, whether it's the golden calf incident or this incident. And then it's also reminiscent of the moment of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, when there's a challenge in that moment and Elijah calls on God. This is a moment where it's nice to have God on your side. And I think that it is, had it been able to be resolved um, by way of dialogue and discussion, then of course, that would have been the preference. But at a certain point, it is clear that, that Moses, who was humble, and Moses, who had God to signal to all of the Israelites in no uncertain terms, that, that he was the only one uh, with whom God spoke mouth to mouth, right? The, in Pirkei Avot, chapter 5, it, the rebellion of Korach becomes the very rebellion that we are seeking to avoid. That it, it, it asks which are the controversies that are for the sake of heaven and which are the ones that are not for the sake of heaven. And um, the controversy of Korach and his congregation was not for the sake of heaven. And of Hillel and Shammai is the example that is for the sake of heaven. And of course, the question is why? What makes Hillel and Shammai a controversy that is laudable and Korach, which is not? And the model of Hillel and Shammai is here were two individuals who, as individuals and their houses, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, disagreed on everything. But the manner by which they disagreed, Hillel it is said that he would always give expression to Shammai's argument before positing his own. And it's that sort of ability to honor the counterclaim of the other prior to asserting your own view, which is a model for how, in, how, to, be, uh, disag- how to disagree without being disagreeable. Korach didn't present an alternative, and he suffered a, a, a terrible fate at the hands of God because of it. 
but that becomes the wrong way to to disagree which of course has real application in our own day and age we live in a world of disagreement and sometimes violently and what our our task our challenge and i would say our opportunity is to find a way to have disagreements that are in the model of Hillel and Shammai and not con- controversies that are in the model of Korach um, Adato and his congregation. I wonder just honing in, following the 250 rebels consumption and the people are then terrified. God then tells Aaron the priests and the Levites will bear the prime responsibility for encroachment on, on Israel's part. And he then describes the work of the priests in five opaque words, which I know the commentators have wrestled as to their meaning. Those words, avodat matana et hen et kahunatchem. And the wrestle being as to what the translation of those words um, might mean. I will make your priesthood a service of dedication. I will give your priesthood as a gift, something like that. But I I wonder your take on um, those opaque words. I'm not sure about those words in particular, and I'm not able to interpret them. I would say that this question of the priesthood, of whether or not the kehuna is singled out for special distinction, or whether every Israelite is singled out for special distinction, is this tension. At the very end of Shlach Lecha, I'm always struck the passage, which is the third um, paragraph of the Shema, Vayomar Hashem El Moshelemor, Daber Bnei Israel. And it says, and it, it says that the petil techelet, the cord of blue, the fringe at every corner, should be worn not just by the priests, not just by the kahuna, which is the original garment of the priest, as we know, but it actually um, is to be worn by every Israelite. And so even though, as you correctly point out, that there's a, a, a specific task and role for Aaron and his descendants to perform as as priests, that Kedushah is to be worn by every Israelite and subsequently by every Jew all the way through the generations. So again, you see this, this balancing act of the line of Aaron and every Israelite. Maybe just finally, in like picking up on one of the themes that you introduced in the beginning, as these parshiot being about leadership, I wonder really what you draw from this important lesson as to the uh, prime mode of leadership that Torah seeks to impart to us. Look, terrible as this incident of Korach and his followers was, we have to remember that in the following week, in next week's Parsha, 
Uh, Moses is told that he is not the leader to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so we can be critical of Moses, we can be critical of Korah, we can be critical of Datan Baviram, we can be critical of Miriam and Aaron who challenge, right, and the spies, all of these. And each incident is, is problematic, but Moses is not the one to lead them forward. And that, I think, is something that has application here and now, that there are leaders for each day, for every moment. And as I say to everyone, you have to know when to, it's better to leave a kiddish five minutes early, not five minutes late. And I think Moses... That sounds um, like a prime rabbinic leadership imperative. Well, if I ever write um, a book on rules for rabbis, and certainly in the top five will be leave a kiddish five minutes early, not five minutes late. And knowing when to hang up your talus and when to it's time to walk off with elegance and grace uh, and not overextend your stay. And Moses was the leader of vision. Moses was the one who stood up to Pharaoh. Moses was the one who was at the burning bush, who was at Mount Sinai. I don't want to soft step the, the power of Moses, and but he didn't A, do it by himself. He had Aaron, he had Miriam. There were other leaders at his side. And he was um, not the one, and we know what's going to happen. It's going to be Joshua who is going to be uh, the one to carry the way forward. And so I think it's both for every generation, but all of those who are in leadership positions to understand that there are different chapters of our lives. And whereas it is understandable to uh, not want to let go, we have to be able to do so. And so I think in whatever walk of life, whether that's being a leader of a people, a leader of a congregation, a moment in in family dynamics, when we realize that the truths of one moment um, don't apply to the truths of the next moment, I think that is a message that finds application to us all. Rabbi Cosgrove, thank you so much for your important words. We look forward to inviting you back once you've written that book, or in the meantime, other books, and we certainly look forward to welcoming you back to Between the Lines. Thank you for your leadership, your important voice. Um, thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, find out all about our exciting content that we have for you at our mothership, jewishquest.org. We do very much look forward to welcoming you back next week. Mm -hmm.